Well, good morning once again. You know, before we get started today, this is, uh, you know, it was pretty exciting to, to talk about preaching on the seven deadly sins um, from a, a, a pastor meeting standpoint. It's kind of neat. The graphics are really cool, and I know Pastor Dave always cracked up at all the time we'd spend on talking about the graphics, because uh, they really don't mean anything. But, but as you get down and you start studying, and you start preparing for a message, and then you, you start looking at a sin, and you start looking at your own sin, Man, it really humbles you. It, it really has, has an effect on you if you're willing to take it serious, if you're willing to look at it with open eyes and ask the Holy Spirit to teach you. So that's what I'm going to ask for from you guys, uh, that you have open hearts and open eyes and uh, open ears, willing to hear what the Holy Spirit has and, and not what I have prepared Let's go to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we do ask for your blessing upon the message and upon your message, not mine. I've written words down and I've read different things, but really this is your message. To deal with pride is, is an interesting uh, task. It's an interesting task to take on Lord, I'm not worthy to be even standing up here. But I'm thankful for your, your love and your blessings and your encouragement. And I'm thankful for who you are. We praise you for who you are and praise you uh, for your creation and praise you for your willingness to Send your son as a sacrifice in our place. We praise you for the resurrection. We praise you for our future, our eternal life with you. We praise you for your word. We praise you that we can learn from it through you, Holy Spirit. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It was on August 30th, 1985. There was a 21-year-old. He was a famous bullfighter in Spain. Jose Cabero. I, I know I butchered his last name, but he's pretty famous. You probably have seen his picture. He was competing in a, in a bullfight. And, and Jose... He made a tragic mistake. You see, the bull was already down, and I didn't even realize this in bullfights that they'd try to kill the bull. Didn't, didn't even understand that. Well, he, he had nearly killed the bull, and so he, the, this, this bull that was crazy and was, was already bleeding out, he stabbed him one more time with his sword. 
And he turned and he raised his arms and just was getting applause from a, a, a capacity crowd. And just at that moment, the bull stood up and stuck its horn in his back and pierced his heart from behind. You see, just when we think we've finished off pride, when we turn to accept the congratulations from the crowd, pride stabs us in the back. There was a guy, a former heavyweight boxer, named James Quick Tillis. Maybe some of you remember him. He, he was from Oklahoma. They, they called him the cowboy. They called him the quick, and they called him the cowboy. And, and he came to Chicago in the early 80s. And, and uh, he recalls coming to Chicago, and he, and he was carrying two suitcases, and, and he set the suitcases down as he got to the Sears Tower, and, and he looked up at the tower, and he says, I'm going to conquer Chicago. And he looked down, and his suitcases were gone. You see, when we think of the word pride, we sometimes think of Pharisees. Some of us might think of the Pharisees. Some of us might think of professional athletes like Muhammad Ali. Well, today I want to help all of us understand that pride is a sin that each of us, that each of us are dealing with on a daily basis. Pride is, is what brought sin into this world. C.S. Lewis said, and I quote, Today I come to the part of the Christian morals where they differ most sharply from all other morals. There is one vice of which no man in the world is free, which everyone in the world loathes when he sees it in someone else, and of which hardly any people except Christians ever imagine that they are guilty themselves. I have heard people admit that they are bad-tempered, or that they cannot keep their heads about girls or drink, or even that they are cowards. But I do not think I have ever heard anyone who is not a Christian accuse himself of this vice. And at the same time, I very seldom met anyone who showed the slightest mercy to it in others. There is no fault which makes a man more unpopular, and no fault which we are more unconscious of in ourselves. And the more we have it ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. He continues, The vice I am talking of is pride or self-conceit. And the virtue opposite of it in Christian morals is called humility. We have come to the center of Christian morals. According to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil, is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. So interesting to think about. Through pride, the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. Wow. Heavy words. Well, today we're going to learn about a story about a man, a powerful man. Uh, one of the most powerful men that, that we learn about in Scripture. He, and he had a significant amount of pride. His name is King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar. And he had pride in his accomplishments, in his buildings, in, in his wealth, and all the things that, that he had. 
before we dig into the scripture that, that we're going to be teaching about, I, I thought we could learn more about this man and more about what his story is. Because the first four chapters of Daniel actually are, are, are talking through the life of King Nebuchadnezzar and, and, and telling us the story about how, I'll give you the end of the story, how we believe that he may have actually gave his life to the Almighty. Since we currently don't have children's church, I thought I'd do something a little bit different today than I normally do. So we're going to start children's church back up in September, and those of you who have signed up desired to be part of that, I'll be contacting you this week. But I'm going to show a three-minute video, a three-minute video that's going to summarize the entire story. Uh, and and I, I enjoy videos as well. And, and I think this video, as I watched it, did an excellent job of actually capturing the entire first four chapters of Daniel. And, and so I'm going to let Jacob play our Nebuchadnezzar. This is the story video. of Nebuchadnezzar, a king who learned really slowly with an ego that bruised like a peach. He was a warlord pagan king from Babylon who besieged Jerusalem. He decided to teach some of the intelligent young nobles from Jerusalem all they would need to know to better serve him. Daniel was one of them. About two years into his reign, Nebuchadnezzar began having disturbing dreams, visions which he didn't understand. As any good pagan would, he summoned his astrologers, magicians, sorcerers, and enchanters to help him. But rather than telling them what his dream was, he told them to tell him what his dream was. Of course they couldn't, so he gave an order to have all the wise men killed. Daniel managed to stall long enough to pray, and had a vision from God of the meaning of the dream. Explaining to the king that this was not a skill Daniel had, but only something God could do, he told the king the dream, and he interpreted it, telling Nebuchadnezzar that the dream was an image of the kings to come after him. Overjoyed by this, Nebuchadnezzar fell to his face and proclaimed that Daniel's God was truly the God of gods and the Lord of kings. Of course, this doesn't stop Nebuchadnezzar from practicing his pagan religion, but it's a start in the right direction, right? He gives Daniel a big promotion, to rule over the province of Babylon. But Daniel finds a way to stay in the king's court by promoting three Israelites, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to be administrators of Babylon. In no time, Nebuchadnezzar dismisses the whole Daniel's God is the real God stuff, and decides to build a 90-foot gold statue, which he forces everyone to worship if they hear the slightest musical sound. If they don't, they'll be thrown into a furnace and burned alive. An astrologer, still peeved about the whole dream business, tells Nebuchadnezzar that the three Israelites overseeing Babylon don't pray to the statue. When confronted, they're reminded if they don't, they'll be thrown into the furnace. And all three agree that burned or not, they're not going to worship Nebuchadnezzar's gods, let alone a gold brick. Furious, he orders the furnace to be turned up as hot as possible and has all three men bound and thrown in. But rather than burning, they're perfectly safe. The ropes that bound them are now ashes. Nebuchadnezzar is absolutely amazed. He tells the men to come out of the furnace since they are servants of the Most High God. This doesn't stop Nebuchadnezzar from practicing his pagan religion either. Nebuchadnezzar has another dream, this time about a tree. Daniel tells him, begrudgingly, that the tree is him, and he's about to go insane and get kicked out of his kingdom to go live on grass with wild donkeys. You'll have it rough for a while, he says, but you'll eventually come back to power, lessons learned. Twelve months later, just long enough to put a dream like that out of your mind, Nebuchadnezzar is admiring his palace. Look at this great palace, which I built with my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty, he says. So with that, a messenger from God comes down, and Nebuchadnezzar goes stark raving mad, gets driven out of his domain, and lives in a field eating grass. Eventually, he looks up to heaven and acknowledges that God, indeed, gives control to kingdoms to whomever he chooses. 
Now, uninsane, he's brought back to his palace and reseated on his throne. So now he's willing to praise God. Because the dreams, seeing the future, just missed their mark. And having everything, even your own mind, taken away seemed to finally hit home. The moral of the story? Pride seems to be a real hot button for God. Remember, nothing you've accomplished was the result of anything else but God. Okay, so there's our story. So hopefully the kids and the adults appreciated that. Well, in order to understand Nebuchadnezzar and, and his entire fall, we, I think, first have to look at the definition of pride. We look at the definition of pride, and, and, and Merriam-Webster defines pride this way. It says, a feeling that you respect yourself and deserve to be respected by other people, or a feeling that you are more important or better than other people. Interesting. If we look at Scripture, which is something we often do and often need to do when we look at, uh, to look, to understand a word like pride, and we look for the definition, we actually see pride is positive at times. Psalm 47.4 says, He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. You even see in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 22, it says, So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. And I think there is a time for good pride. I, I look at, at the house that we live in and, and the kitchen, how we gutted it and, and redid the walls and the, and the light and the electricity and the cabinets and, and did all that work. And, and I stand back and I'm, I'm proud of my efforts, uh, of what I was able to accomplish in that. And that is, that's an okay pride. That is not a sinful pride. I also think about yesterday. Molly. Molly made Kraft macaroni and cheese yesterday. And, and I find myself actually as a connoisseur or an, or an expert in this category uh, of rating macaroni and cheese. Well, Molly, she knocked it out of the ballpark. I mean, she really did from start to finish. Her, her macaroni was soft, but not too soft. It was cheesy, but not too cheesy. The blend that she did with the butter and the, and the cheese and the milk was absolutely perfect. And, and as I was enjoying literally every single bite, every bite, I told Molly, I said, Molly, on, on dad scale, that's an A+. That was the best macaroni and cheese I've ever had. I'm proud of you. That was an okay proud. Okay time to be proud. Because you know what? I was delighting in others, as God has asked me to do. It really was tremendous macaroni and cheese. But it's been said that if you took away the benevolent elements of pride, there would be a society of lethargic creatures who are content to live in the mud. That's a heavy statement. But while there are some benevolent side to what we call pride, there is a slippery slope. There is a slippery slope uh, that leads us to a negative, that leads us to a, a sinful side of pride. Here's what the pastors gathered as a definition of pride as we studied its effects. Pride is a mis... And I'm going to read this all so I make sure I get it right. Pride is a misdirected and misapplied love towards self instead of God 
and others. This love causes one to elevate and establish oneself above others and even God to the detriment of our worship of God and causes division with others. Pride seeks self-exaltation, self-promotion, and self-justification, but subtle forms of pride are seen in our self-degregation, our self-demotion, and our self-condemnation in a pursuit to move the spotlight from others back to self. In, a, in the biblical text that we're focused on today, we're going to look at three specific dimensions where pride lives. Three dimensions. In fact, uh, there's three verses. Three verses in the fourth chapter of Daniel I want to look at immediately. Verses 28 through 30. In chapter 4 of Daniel, it says, All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? You see, you remember in the little cartoon story we had, Nebuchadnezzar was told through his dream, through the interpretation of Daniel, through the Holy Spirit, that he was going to crash. He was going to fall because of his pride. Twelve months had passed, and so he's like, no, I'm good. And look at my city, and look at all my wealth, and look at what I've done. I, 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 me. Well, we can take pride in three things that I want to identify. Our power, we can take pride in our possessions, we can take pride in our position. Our power, our possessions, and our position. And, and we see here that King Nebuchadnezzar, with his mighty power, he knew that he was the most powerful. In his known world, he had, he had the most possessions that anyone could possess. He had the most wealth. His position was high above that of everyone else. He, he had put himself in a place where, where many kings, many emperors, many leaders of, of nations have done, where they just want more and more and more, and it's never enough. The king knew that he was the almighty from his people's standpoint, and even from his. And now the king was standing above the city in a position feeling confident about who he was. Have you heard the story uh, of the ship captain? story of the ship captain, and, and he, had a, he had a problem with pride too. One night at sea, the captain, he saw what looked like another boat, and, and, he, and he singled that boat, and he said, move 10 degrees south. And he received back a signal saying, move 10 degrees north. And the captain was not happy about that, so the ship's captain said, I am a captain. Move 10 degrees south. To which the reply came, well, I am a seaman, first class. Change your course north. Well, obviously, this infuriated the captain. He said, Move 10 degrees south, I am a battleship. 
A reply came back, and I say, change your course north. I am a lighthouse. You and I find pride in ourselves all the time. All the time, we are proud. We are proud, and, and, and we will have that pride at work, we'll have that pride at home, and we'll have that pride within our community. We look at all the things that we have and that we've acquired and say, wow, we have done well, especially here in America. Perhaps you're the boss at your employment or, or you're in charge of some people. You take pride in that and you, you want to make sure everyone knows that you are the one in charge. We believe that somehow the power gives us the right to be above others. And over time, you think that you're entitled to certain privileges and certain rights because you, you realize that, you know what, if I wasn't here, everything would collapse. Everything would collapse. I've tried to prevent that my own way. Every, every position I've, I've taken, at least in the last decade or so, I've always made the comment, we're not going to be here forever. We're not going to be here forever, so let's prepare for the next person. And I, that's, I've tried to have that to help humble me. And you know what? We were at an elder meeting the other day, and, and that was the comment that uh, the president, the chairman of the elders, John Pilkington, said. He said, we are guaranteed that all of us won't be here someday. And so everything we do is in preparation for who comes next and that we are focused on Scripture and that we're focused on, on lifting God up in everything that we do. Are we putting the interests of others first? How about our own? You see, when, when we are ahead of others, we start getting confident and we start getting complacent. When we're in front of others... And we forget about that fall, just like Nebuchadnezzar did. He forgot about the fall. It was 12 months, and he forgot about the fall. How many times have we seen in sporting events? Somebody celebrating too early. I watched a whole bunch of random videos. Spent way too much time probably on it. And watching where there was this bicyclist who his arms were up in the air. He's so excited, and all of a sudden he just crashed because the finish line was just ahead. He crashed, and and then another bike just drove right past him. There was a marathon where, where a guy literally was stopping. He was giving high fives to everybody. He was the winner of the marathon. And another guy ran right by, and, and he just barely, like that, the guy in the lead actually almost stopped him. I mean, we see that all the time. And, and no better, or, or norm, no more famous than, in, at least in our area, that I could think about is when Don Beebe, when Don Beebe ran down, Don Beebe played for the Buffalo Bills. His brother goes to Sugar Grove campus. Don Beebe played for the Buffalo Bills, and, and they were losing 52 to 17. The Buffalo Bills, they lost many times in a row. But he ran down Leon Lett, who, who got a fumble. And Leon Lett was running down, and, and he was confident. And he was showboating it, and he was excited. But Don Beebe ran him down. 
to cause a fumble. You, you know what? I think we have the video, actually. Jacob? Do we? Oh, wow, we do. Of celebration and warmth. We'll give you the rest of it after this play. Fourth down and six. And right fumbles. Picked up by Leon Lett. Can he go all the way? It's a 60-yard run. He's being chased by BB. Watch out. Did he get across? No, they are not. That's going to be a touchback to Buffalo. There, there's no call yet, though. He has not marked touchdown. It was knocked out of his hands and went out of bounds in the end zone, which would give it to Buffalo at the 20. And look at Lett. If they call that a no touchdown, he's going to dig a hole and crawl out of this place from there. He's going to need a big hole. <laughs> they have not made the call yet. Was it knocked out of his hand before? There's the uh, he celebrated too soon. No, that's Jeffco. Well, that's, he's the guy who made the hit. Leon Lett's still lying in the end zone. Now he's on his feet. And the call by hand. The play has been ruled as a fumble in the field of play. The fumble went forward through the end zone and out of the end zone, creating a touchback. Buffalo's ball, first and ten. Leon Lett would have scored. But he slowed down to celebrate at the five-yard line, and when he did, Don Beebe, hustling, stripped it away. Beebe is the fastest Buffalo Bill. Hmm. I've dealt with many people through my career as an educator that are, have been in positions of power, whether as a school board member or, or ha had amassed great wealth. And so they believe rules in a... Uh, they, they didn't need to follow the rules, that they were above those rules, and I'm sure you've dealt with people like that too. I'm sure that many times growing up that I thought I was something else in Little League that I had control of because my dad was always the coach. Bless him. And maybe my kids, I've been their principal and superintendent, maybe they've thought they're something else too because they're in a position of power. You know, all of us just need to stay on guard. We need to stay on guard. Leon Lett left his guard down, confident and, and, and showing to the world that he was the greatest to run a 60-yard fumble into a touchdown. And he forgot. Just like Daniel explained to Nebuchadnezzar, if we don't stop, if we do not stop and give glory to God, we will fall greatly. We will fall greatly. Let's look at the dangers pride brings. First, pride may often alienate us from others. When you find yourself engaged with a prideful person, man, it just gets annoying really gets annoying to be around them. I, I, I rode in a vehicle with, with a guy one time, and maybe I've told this story before. Me, me and another guy were riding this vehicle for two hours. Two hours we rode in this vehicle, and this guy, all he did was talk about himself. He told us how great he was, how much money he was making, and how much money he was going to make, he told us how great he was going to serve the church 
and how the church should be so thankful. I spoke merely two words probably the entire trip without exaggerating. It made me sick. I didn't want to be around the person at all, and nor did many people. He was alienating himself because of his pride. And as I thought about Nebuchadnezzar during this last week, I thought, wouldn't all of us do that? If we had the power and the possessions and the position that Nebuchadnezzar was in, wouldn't we fall to that sin? Man, I think many of us would. You see, Nebuchadnezzar, he was alienated from the rest of his people. Scripture tells us that, that he spent seven years, seven years on his own, out, out in the, the grass, feeding off the grass, wild. He was alienated from his people. In fact, pride often leads to a point in our life that incapacitates us. It truly incapacitates us. When you have a sin, like pride, controlling you, when you are so proud, you can't serve God the way you were designed to. You really can't. You become incapable of it because you're controlled by the sin. Ilian T. Jones in his book said, Pride ruins from within. It proves such a disease as will wholly render us incapable of serving God. It is a moral disease of the most malignant kind, which wholly exhausts us for work for which we have been made. Fondness to pride is a disease. It's a moral disease by which we are rendered incapable of answering the end of our creation. By delighting in vain things, we show that our hearts are alienated from God, and we serve not the living God, but some dead idols. How diseased then our heart must be. Alienated from people is one thing. Alienated from God is completely different. You see, when we have pride and we don't acknowledge that pride and we don't give it to God, we will alienate ourselves from the Holy One, from the Most Holy One. Nebuchadnezzar, yeah, he was alienated from others. And he became incapacitated. But it also, it also oftentimes leads to humiliation. It humiliates us. See, Nebuchadnezzar, he was humiliated. Many of the people that I read said he was probably just outside the city and people could see him. And somehow he was, he was gated in and, and they could actually see the king truly crazy, truly insane, eating grass, having long fingernails, Scripture teaches us. Nebuchadnezzar took a prideful posture and brings us back to Leon Lett. Same thing he did. Leon Lett, 
took a posture of pride and a posture of I'm great, and he became humbled quickly, humiliated. How about you? How many times have you been gathering with, with people and you've bragged about yourself and, and you made sure that everybody knew, knew that you knew everything, that, that you were the smart one, and then you find out that people were just thinking that you were arrogant, that you were prideful. You feel humiliated and embarrassed. Your pride got in the way of your message. See, the problem is, is that we become humbled. We get humbled when, when we get caught in a sin or, or when we realize our sin, and, and then we change, kind of, until a season goes by, and, and, and then we do it again. Whatever that sin is, if it's pride, we, we, we are, we're again proud and, and exclaiming that we know all things, and then we're humbled again, and the process starts all over. Eventually, eventually we learn, Lord willing, that we continue to humble ourselves, and we learn that, that we need to be slow to speak and quick to listen. That comes with wisdom and comes with time. You see, pride ultimately... Ultimately, pride can decimate our future. It can decimate our future. And if pride isn't given over to God, if it truly isn't given over to God with a humble heart, our future isn't bright. There are thousands, thousands of people that are extremely wealthy, thousands of people that are famous, that, that are extremely full of pride, that never humble themselves. However, pride promises to ruin in the end. You see, you cannot be filled with pride and serve Jesus Christ. You cannot. It controls you. Pride controls you. That's what caused the devil to be the devil, C.S. Lewis said. So basically, there's a specific direction that we need to take. There's a specific direction we need to take, and, and, and we're required to honor God as God and to humble ourselves. To honor God as God and humble ourselves. At the end of the scripture, Nebuchadnezzar, in chapter 4, he finally humbled himself before God, and he acknowledged God who he really was. This is what it says. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven, and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation all the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. That's a huge statement for the king of Babylon to say, all the people of the earth are regarded as nothing. That is a humble statement by a king 
to say. He does, speaking of God, he does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have I done? Then the Bible. Then the Bible says something that is extremely profound in verse 37 of chapter 4. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Luke 14, 11 is, is one, of the, one of my favorite verses to ponder upon. It's one of the verses I try to pass on to the kids. Exalt yourself, you'll be humbled. Humble yourself, you'll be exalted. Basically, you don't ever have to praise yourself. You don't ever have to praise yourself. Sometimes, or, or maybe a lot of times, we, we want to tell everybody about all the great things we've done. Man, I, I fed the homeless. I saved that dog from the fire. I, I, I helped that family out when they were in need. Oh, did you see me, see me race how fast I was? I was so good. I, I even beat my biggest foe. You know, we want to shout it from the rooftops. And, and in today's society, we've been given every avenue to make sure everybody knows how great we are. I want to remind you today. No, I want to remind myself today that I am constantly giving glory to the King of Kings. That truly, I'm giving God all the glory, knowing that our lives, they truly belong to Him alone. I think part of that, to release pride in your own life, is you need to humble yourself, you need to bow down, and you need to confess your sins, whatever they are. Acknowledge all of your sins. Acknowledge all of your weaknesses. Acknowledge all of the things that you have no control of. And hand them over to Jesus. That's the process of humbling yourself. And you know what? Sometimes you need to go talk to a friend, family member, or someone at the church, and ask for help. Humble yourself. Humble yourself, knowing that God is in control. You know, just like the moon reflects the, the light from the sun, you, you are the light of the world. Jesus created you. He redeemed you. He called us to be his followers. He called us to shine a reflection of him, to reflect the radiance, truly the radiance of God. And when, you're, when you can see that reflection of, of Jesus in people, you can see a humble person, someone who is just completely trusting their life in Jesus Christ. So we need to truly humble ourselves. We live in a world where pride is king. That is what our world 
preaches. A world where we personally praise those in power. Where we lift up those who have positions above us. Where we do everything we can to get as many possessions as possible. That's the world we live in. It's an uphill battle. It's an uphill battle for most of us. In fact, maybe some of you today have been humbled by this message. I, personally, I have. I've been humbled by preaching about humbleness and pride. Pride, it just sneaks in. It, it just creeps its way in. And, and we, we, we sometimes don't even identify it as pride. And it just starts growing and growing like it's, like it's that terrible weed that we can't get rid of. But we can. At least we can continue the process of continuing to hand it over to God. Would you seek help from God today? Would you humble yourself and, and, and say, God, please teach me the places where I'm proud. Teach me the places where pride is just killing me and causing me to not focus on you as God. Would you humble me today? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you humble us? Would you humble me? Would you teach us to serve you wholly, not for a show, not for praise, but to serve you so we have the opportunity to praise you. So we have the opportunity to uh, let our light so shine because our light is you. That's the reflection that we're looking for, that we're reflecting your love. I heard of a, a guy, God, that was serving you for multiple years. And never once brought up your name to the people he was serving, and, and they all gave their life to you because he was reflecting your love. May we reflect your love and your, your beauty and your radiance. Humble us today, God. Teach us how to be humble in a way that's honoring to you, in a way that brings glory to you. And again, we thank you for your son Jesus and for the sacrifice and the resurrection so that we owe everything. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand for our final song.